You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I am not even worthy to bend over and loosen the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. ago, I celebrated my 35th birthday, and I have to tell you, one of the things that I'm not enjoying about my birthdays now is the increasing amount of knee pain, sure, back pain, yes, the ungodly amount of vitamins I have to keep up with and keep track of now every single day, but also the every year learning about a promise that someone made to me early on that simply put is not true. Give an example. Fill in this blank. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You got it. Well done. Hogwash. Malarkey. I'm calling all of it. I love apples. Apples are my favorite fruit. I kid you not, I eat at least two a day. And every single parent of young children knows in this room, they don't stand a chance against those snotty little boogers. Ever since we had two children, uh, perfect example, I saw this meme the other day that uh, shows what every single one of our nostrils looks like right now this time of year. And I actually saw this and I realized I haven't breathed out of both nostrils in 10 years. Right now, left one clogged, right one free. I don't understand it. And so keep the doctor away. No, I want the doctor closer than ever before. In fact, I'm on a first name basis with my doctor. His name is Sam. He has two children. He enjoys bass fishing. We've become good buddies doctor a day, or apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's a silly example, but I think it goes to show that all of us have some example of somebody or something at some point in your life promising something to you that at some point in your journey you found out was not true. 
And sometimes it can be things that don't really matter that much. But others of you are carrying things. You're carrying promises that were big. They were weighty. And when they were broken, something inside of you broke a little bit. I like to think that when promises are broken to me, I like to think that I'm stronger than that, that like I can you know, rebound from a broken promise and not let it affect me the next time I really need to trust somebody or I really need to uh, sort of uh, stay committed to somebody or something. But the fact of the matter is, is that they affect me. Broken promises affect all of us. In fact, when I look around at the world in which we're inhabiting today, I would argue it feels like with every passing day, it feels like our society is moving further and further into skepticism, into cynicism. It's, it's actually much harder to find anybody uh, who trusts what you say and what it is you say you're about. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm the same way. Every time I turn on the news, I find myself just sort of a little bit of a cynic watching it saying, hmm, I wonder if that's actually what happened. I wonder if that's actually the accurate depiction of events. I wonder if that's actually how it went down. Every turn I'm, I'm on social media, I scroll through. I wonder, is that actually what they look like? <laughs> is that the type of life that they actually lead? Is that actually true of who they are, who they say they are? It seems like with every day, we're moving further and further into a world where promises don't mean much of anything. And then in breaks the season of Advent. If you are new here to our church, or you are new to a church that practices the season of Advent, I'm gonna give you a little bit of an orientation as we get started here this first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the time of year, every single year, this time of year, whereby we prepare, we ready ourselves for Christmas, and particularly how we do so is we prepare and ready ourselves by remembering all of the promises God has made to us. Promises of love, joy, hope, peace, the central promise that God is going to come back to us, that God's going to come again and return again to us and deliver us from sin and death and all the things that plague our world. However, this Advent, and maybe every Advent, what it feels like is happening inside of me and happening, I think, inside a lot of us, is this question of, do we still believe those promises? Do you still believe all the things that God said God would do all the things Jesus said he would bring and bring for you. And furthermore, if we are people who trust in the promises of God, what type of life does that require of us? What kind of life does that look like? Let's dig in. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along here today, go ahead and grab those or grab a smart device. Or if you're watching this online, feel free to hit pause and grab a Bible. Uh, today we're going to be camped out in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is the passage you just heard Steph read a couple of moments ago. And to give you a little bit of context, Mark 1 is chronicling a really, really powerful moment in our story, in the, narr in the Christian narrative, where God fulfilled one of God's promises. 
God said that God was going to come, that God was going to become one of us, that God was going to infiltrate our world and deliver us and be our Messiah, be our deliverer, be the one who announces liberation to the captives. So Mark chapter 1, we're seeing this moment where they're celebrating this incredible uh, time when God, in a really tangible, palpable way, fulfilled a promise. However, it is really, really important when we read this moment, we read about this story of when Jesus came to earth, it's really important to remember that the people who were hearing these words had been waiting a long time for this promise to come true. They had been waiting a minute for God to make good on God's promise. In fact, uh, they've been waiting somewhere to the tune of nearly 600 years 600 years is where we see actually here in these early moments. Uh, you can see here in uh, verses 2 and 3. Look, uh, go ahead and put that up there for me, Carrie. Here in verses 2 and 3, you'll notice that what Mark is doing here is he's referencing an earlier promise. He's saying, God has come. God did what God said he was going to do. Don't you remember? And he references these two verses. These two verses were first preached. They were first given to the people of God nearly 600 years earlier. And so for nearly 600 years, they've been waiting for God to make good. Is he going to come through? Am I waiting in vain? And so this is the audience. Not too unlike, I would argue, the audience today. Here is the audience to which Mark is preaching. And I would argue uh, the audience to which he's preaching falls into one of four buckets. One of four buckets. The people he's preaching to, the people that he's announcing this to, the people that he's celebrating this with, that God fulfills God's promises, God keeps God's word. The people he's preaching to fall into one of four buckets. Number one, he, there are people who, uh, who are listening to him who did not believe. Maybe they believed at one point. Maybe they actually put all their hope and trust in it. And at some point, something happened. Something happened in their life. Something happened theologically. They said, you know what? That ain't coming true. That ain't happening. The second bucket. There were also people during Mark's day who he preached to who just straight up didn't care. Maybe for them, they were just like, you know what? I don't know. Like, it doesn't really matter too much to me anyway. Like, faith has never really been an important part of my life anyway. And so, like, sure, whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't really make much of an impact to my life. So I don't necessarily have much invested in this conversation. Thirdly, there was a pretty, uh, another pretty large group. This is like, I think this is bell curve is pretty accurate to the audience he's speaking to. Uh, there's a third group who they did believe. They believed that Jesus would bank in, they would cash in, that Jesus would make good on his promises. But for them, they just believed. It was a theoretical thing. It was a mental thing. It was a cognitive thing. It didn't impact their everyday life. Which leads to the fourth group. You see, friends, there's a fourth group of people who Mark is preaching to, and I would argue, uh, in our world today, who when you look at their life, they don't just believe God makes good on God's promises. They live like it. It looks like they believe it. I would argue this is the biggest difference between belief and trust. You see, belief doesn't require nothing from you. I can believe something from a mile away. I can believe something in mind only. I can believe uh, that God's going to do something or something good's going to happen. I can believe without anything invested. But the moment you trust it, that's when you're willing to risk something to prove whether or not it's true or not. A perfect example of this is the primary character in our story for today, John the Baptist. 
Going back to our passage again, John the Baptist is this exemplified uh, character. He's someone who every single Advent, we spend a lot of time following his example, following uh, his life, because he is someone who imitates the life of someone who didn't just believe God's promises. He trusted them. You saw it in his actions. You saw it in his example. You saw it in everything that he did. How can you tell? Let's dive in and look. Verse 5, it says this, that in preparation uh, of the promise that God was going to come and become one of us and take on human flesh and be our deliverer, be our liberator, where we find John is not hunkered down in a church somewhere. It wasn't sitting at home somewhere. It wasn't doing something else, trying to pass the time, hoping that one day God would eventually fulfill God's promise. No. What do we find John the Baptist doing? He was in the wilderness preaching so that people would be baptized to show they'd repent of their sins and turn to God so they could be forgiven. And pretty soon all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John, to hear his message, to hear the things that he knew was coming. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them too in the Jordan River. You see, friends, one of the questions that the Advent season puts before us is when you find yourself waiting on the promises of God. And I'd encourage you today to be thinking about that. What are the promises that you're still waiting on personally from God? What are the things that you're hoping are going to be true one day, hoping one day God provides or fixes or solves or heals? And when you're doing that, ask yourself this question. While we wait on God to fulfill God's promises, do we wait actively or passively? Ask yourself that question right now in, the, in your own mind, in your own heart. When you think about the promises you're still waiting for God to make good on, are you someone who's waiting actively or passively? What's the difference? Well, a passive waiter isn't participating. They're receiving, and they're receiving only. They're someone who is really, really good at receiving uh, God's gifts or receiving God's provision, receiving uh, God's uh, sort of fulfillment of promise, but they're not actually participating in it. In fact, when they look at the promises God not made, not only to them, but to humanity, they are those who sort of look around and they wait for everyone else to do the work. They say, oh, someone else will step up and make some steps of faith. And other people will go to the places that still need to hear the gospel. Other people will go and serve the poor. Other people will go and do the hard labor. I'm going to wait and sort of cheer them on from the back. That's passive waiting. Active waiting is you have been so compelled, you've been so convinced by what Jesus has done and who Jesus is that you can do no other then get off the sideline and get involved in some way, in the way that you believe God has called you to get involved. Earlier this morning, you saw a story a sort of chronicling a really, really impactful mission trip that we took a couple of weeks ago to the Dominican Republic. In fact, over the course of the next several weeks, you're going to see a lot more. You're going to see stories in the e-news and social media chronicling all the incredible things that happened in our trip down there. And those of you who have been on mission trips before, you know this. You know that what makes mission trips so impactful is not, all the incredible, not only the incredible work you get to do, but it is the stories you get to hear from these incredible missionaries whose faith, who is quite frankly so much bigger than mine. A perfect example of this is Rod Davis. 
So Rod is the founder of this work, this organization that we work with down in La Vega, Dominican Republic. This is a picture of us definitely not enjoying Dominican cigars and rum one evening. Anyway, um, Rod that evening shared a story. He shared a story of how in the world he even got involved in this work in the first place. He's not from the DR, he's from Oakland, he's from California. And he tells the story that nearly 30 years ago, 30 years ago he's using drugs, he is selling drugs, he's successful at it. In fact, he has everything in his life he could ever imagine. And inside, he's the most miserable he's ever been. And so one night the darkness gets so dark that he ODs and he goes into a coma for weeks. Now check this out. The moment that a friend of his learned that he was in a coma, called a pastor friend, and this pastor friend did not wait passively for him to wake up. He showed up night after night after night, praying for Rod to come back to life. And he did. And when he woke up and he saw that there's this Jesus person, there's this pastory person sitting in front of him, and he learns that he's been praying for him every single night of his entire coma, he says, dude, I don't know who you are or what this is, but I want and I need all of that. He starts following Jesus. He's on fire for Jesus. And this lasts for months. For months, he's like, oh my gosh, like, God, I want to be useful to you. I want to help. I want to be active. I want to participate. And this is what happens, right? This is the way it works. Sometimes you get a fire lit inside of you. Maybe you've had this happen in church sometimes. You've had this happen someplace. You get this fire lit inside of you. And then what happens naturally over time? It dies, doesn't it? And so God refused to allow that fire to go out. And Rod tells the story. He says he's still trying to figure out, like, God, I don't, what, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he's sitting in a church, much like this one a comfortable suburban church, much like this one, one day. And he told me offhand, he said, the pastor was preaching and he said, you know, there's all these passages about how we should drop everything, follow Jesus and uh, serve the poor. And for some of us, you know, that's maybe like something we sort of apply to our lives in principle. He said, but for some of you, this is actually something you're supposed to apply literally. A couple weeks later, that's all it took. Rod packed up his entire family and he moved to the DR and he's been serving that community for now nearly 30 years. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, they convict the daylights out of me. And furthermore, they just ask this question that, again, Advent is always asking. Every year, it just sort of pops up right when it's supposed to. And it says, when it comes to uh, your trust in God, when it comes to your faith in God, are you someone who trusts in mind only? Or do you trust with your hands and your feet too? Some people, you have to ask them what it is that they believe. But people like John the Baptist, people like Rod, you ain't got to ask. It's obvious what they believe. Is the same true of you? Is the same true of us, church? Do people have to ask what it is that we believe? Or is it so daggum obvious because of all the time that we spend 
caring for, advocating for, working for the world that Jesus is ultimately trying to bring us, trying to take us. Let's keep going. John doesn't stop there. He not only uh, drops everything to go and to preach and to be in the wilderness and to be someone who said, you know, I'm not just going to believe, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust God's promises. Uh, We not only see this in full display in verse 5, we see it again in verse 6. What else does John do? He does this. It says uh, that the author felt the need to include these details. It said that uh, in verse 6, another thing you know about John is that uh, he had a very interesting appearance. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, this is something that's always interesting. Uh, Whenever you're, like, studying the Bible, it's always interesting to go, oh, Uh, it's so weird why they didn't include these details. And sometimes it's always interesting to ask, why in the world do they include those details? And so for me, uh, when I read this passage, when I read about the type of person that John was, the incredible amount of faith and trust he had in God's promises, his willingness to go and to drop everything and to go and be useful to God. Furthermore, when I read this verse, what it says to me is furthermore, You could tell that this was someone who didn't just believe but trusted in God's promises because of how little he cared about what other people thought of him. You can see it on full display because of how little attention he paid to, oh, well, I wonder how I'm being perceived and I wonder how I'm coming across and maybe I'm I'm too much or maybe I'm too little. I don't really know. Uh, You know what? I'm just not going to do it. He doesn't do any of that. Why? Because, friends, again, this Advent season, the thing that it's calling us to is it's calling us to ask this question of our own lives, our own witness. Am I waiting on God's promises in private or in public? Is faith and spirituality for you? I'm not saying it can't be private, but is it private only? Does it only exist in the quietness of your own mind? Does it only exist in this little corner uh, by yourself? Do you invite anybody, maybe even your own family members, your own children, do you invite anyone to be a part of what God's doing in your life and in the world? Are other people aware of this in your life, that it's even a factor for you? I'll tell you another story from our trip to the Dominican. It's the story of Pastor Faye. Here's a picture of Faye right here with the uh, yellow arrow above his head. Now, what's interesting about Faye's story is that Faye is actually not the character in the story I want to highlight for you that exemplifies this. Because you see, about 30 years ago, similar story. Faye broaches, he tells us his story, and he shares that about 30 years ago, very similarly, he's using drugs, he is selling drugs. In fact, he's doing so in a town called El Barrio. And El Barrio was known about 30 years ago as one of the most dangerous places in that particular area of the Dominican Republic. Furthermore, not only was it uh, sort of dangerous, uh, but it had been completely abandoned by police presence. They had said, and I quote, that place is without hope. We ain't going over there no more. And where the story changes is actually not because of something Faye did. It wasn't actually something that Pastor Faye did or said or thought It was actually the example of a small local church in that area in La Vega who came together and they said, you know, uh, El Barrio is this town sort of right down the road from us. Police have abandoned it. They've said it's without hope. And, oh, I don't know. We seem to worship the person who says that's precisely the place we go. 
that's precisely the place where the light shines brightest. That's what they did. They didn't have a perfectly well-formulated plan. They said, well, we're just going to go out two by two. We're going to go out and we're going to sort of spread the gospel. We're going to spread the news. We're going to, with anyone who wants to talk about uh, gospel, we're going to talk to them about it. We're not going to be pushy about it. We're not going to be manipulative about it. We're not going to try to sort of coerce people into it. We're just going to share our own experience of who we know Jesus to be and what Jesus has done in our own life. And if anyone wants to talk about that, learn more about that, great. If they don't, we'll keep moving on. And what's so fascinating about this is that they arrive into El Barrio and uh, they are told while they were at church. So there's a particular street, you can go on all the streets, but there's a particular street that you should never ever go down. And that's this one. And guess who lived on that street? Faye. And these two column missionaries, column evangelists said, you know what? Again, we can't come to the place that's been deemed without hope and go halfway. We got to go all the way in. So they bump into Faye couple houses down. And Faye retells the story. He says he invites them into his house. He invites these two folks from church into his house. And he does it to sort of make fun of them. He does it to sort of poke and make fun of them and sort of uh, just sort of like say, this is preposterous. Like no one cares what you have to say. I certainly don't care uh, what it is that you have to say. So he's make fun of them the whole time. But they stay for 45 minutes and they share for 45 minutes. They withstand all of his critiques, all of his insults. And guess what they do the next day? They come back. And they do it again. They do it again. And they do it again. And face it, I can't remember how many times it took, but then at one point something shifted. And it felt like all the armor I had had towards God, and he self-admitted, he was like, for me, the thing that was keeping me from faith was just anger. I was so ticked off that I needed God to show up in all these ways as a kid, and God never did, and God never kept God's promises to me, and so God didn't care about me, and that was obvious, and so he was just angry and hardened towards God. He said in this moment with these people showing up over and over and over again, trying to love him, trying to take care of him, he said the armor fell off of him, and he said it felt like someone was stabbing him. It felt like something was piercing him inside, and ain't that something that the Holy Spirit would do? In Acts chapter 2, we are told that Peter gets up, he preaches the very first sermon after Pentecost, and what happens? It says that the Holy Spirit pierced their hearts, and thousands were baptized that day. Now, thousands weren't baptized that day, but God redeemed, restored, and had a son return to him that day who would then start a church on that same street, in that same area, that would go on to minister to now there's close to 100 people who worship at this church every single Sunday. And so don't get lost in all the details. The point of that story is this. None of that happens if these little ordinary church folk like you and like me say to themselves, yeah, now nah, I'm going to keep my faith private. None of that happens if they talk themselves out of it before they can even broach a conversation, say, yeah, I don't know, like that seems way too far beyond what we can do and, and we're just, we, we're not trained, we didn't go to seminary, we don't do all the Bible studies, we don't know what to say. No, someone else can do that, someone else can take care of that, that's way too scary. None of that happens if they keep it all to themselves. 
And so, friends, that leads to the next question, the other question this Advent season that we're supposed to be asking, which is this, when it comes to your trust in God, again, do you trust him? Is it an intellectual exercise only? Do you only trust God with your mind, or do you trust God with your reputation too? Are you willing to maybe have conversations with friends, family members, coworkers, some of which who are not people of faith, some people who are people of faith but have been burned and hurt by church and they want nothing to do with anything that represents Christianity, are you willing to risk how people perceive you and what people think of you by being true to this particular aspect, this central aspect of your and my identity? Now I know what you're thinking because I, I get this rebuttal every single time I talk about this, especially in modern day context, about the importance of sharing our faith with other people. I always get the rebuttal of, again, Kyle, I don't necessarily know how to do that and I'm not a preacher and I don't talk in front of people like you do and I don't necessarily, neither were these church folks, by the way, mind you, uh, but the, the, the sort of rebuttals keep coming and they say, uh, you know, I just don't necessarily know if I want to change that relationship. I kind of prefer the surface level relationship with this particular person and I don't necessarily know what I'm supposed to do or what role I'm supposed to have. And then uh, furthermore, this always shows up. Someone will say to me, the reason, quite frankly, I don't share about my faith, I don't talk about it more openly with people in my life is just because I don't want to be associated with the crazy Christians out there. Amen? Amen? That's okay. Safe space. We can own that. Like a lot of the depictions of Christianity out there are harmful. They're painful. And so sometimes people say, I don't even want to share nothing to nobody because I don't want to be associated with that. And listen to me. Please hear me. I hear that. I get that. But listen to me, please. The world will never, ever see a healthier, better, richer depiction of Christianity until the compassion-filled, open-minded, and inclusive Christians start getting as loud as the narrow-minded, exclusive, and hateful ones. Until that happens, we're going to risk losing this movement. More and more people will walk away then we'll come to hear the incredible thing that you've heard, the incredible thing that you've encountered in the person of Jesus. So I'll close here. Uh, Banji, you can come on up. Friends, you see, Advent is not just about remembering all of God's promises to you. Okay? Hear me on this. Advent is not just about remembering all of God's promises to you and to me and to us. Advent is also the time of year, every year, where you and I are encouraged to remember the promises you made to God. At some point or another, you made some sort of commitment to this thing. Maybe it was on your baptism day. Maybe it was when you joined this church. Maybe it wasn't in a public way. Maybe it was in some sort of private conversation with two or three friends, or maybe it was by yourself. At some point, you're here today because you made some sort of commitment. You said something explicitly or uh, implicitly or explicitly to God. God, I want, I want to be different. I don't, I don't want to be the person I was before. I want, to, I want to be someone who forgives their enemies. I want to be someone who's quick to compassion. I want to be someone who advocates for justice. I want to be someone of deep devotion and loyalty to you. At some point, you made those commitments. You made those promises. And so Advent is not only about remembering 
what God has done your direction, but what you did towards God. So maybe for you this Advent season, maybe for you long before it could ever be a, it can be an outward thing. Maybe for you it's the internal stuff that needs to be sort of recalibrated. Maybe for you it's the personal relationship that needs to be sorted out this Advent season. Maybe for you, you've been wandering around, doing life on your own, not really, faith has not been a central part of your life. It hasn't even been a primary part of your life. Church being in worship is not something you do on the regular. Spiritual disciplines are not something that you participate in in any sort of consistent way. So maybe for you, long before you can have any impact on anyone else, it's you getting your own heart right. It's getting your own spirit right with God. But others of you, I always like to say this, that the church on its best, best day is like a mission outpost in the middle of the desert, middle of the wilderness. Some of you have been wandering around the wilderness all by yourself for too long, and so you need to come to the outpost. You need to come and get healed, come and get well, come and get strong. But others of you have been in the outpost too long. You've been here too long, and now it's time to go. It's time to take what it is that you've learned. It's time to take what has happened to you out into the world. And it doesn't have to be in these large, huge ways. Maybe it's in small, subtle ways with the people in your life that God has sort of sent into your path that you cross paths with on a regular basis. I don't know who it is for you, or maybe it's a cause. Maybe it's uh, the work that is always on your heart. Maybe you're someone who just, you've always had a heart for combating poverty, or for you it's homelessness, or maybe it's advocating for justice. Again, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe for you it's, man, I've been in the outpost too long, and this Advent is about getting the heck out and going and doing and going and finding God out in the wild. Because you see, friends, I'll leave you with this. I think Teresa of Avila had it right. Teresa of Avila is one of our mothers of the faith. And she said to a church many, many centuries ago, not too unlike ours, a church that needed a, kind of a kick in the rump, you know, one that needed to say, hey, don't forget uh, that you, have a, a, you made promises uh, not only to God, but to your neighbor. Uh, you made promises to be a certain version of yourself, a certain person. Don't forget uh, that. And he said to this church, uh, she said rather, she said to this church, she said, uh, don't forget uh, that this is the calling, that this is the commitment, that this is the requirement. Because friends, you just don't know. She says, what if? What if while we're waiting on Jesus to come back to us, what if while we're waiting for Jesus to come back into this world, what if Christ has no body but yours? No hands, no feet on earth but yours? What if yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion upon this world? What if yours are the feet with which he walks to do good? What if yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world? What if it's your hands, your feet, your eyes? What if Jesus meant it when he said, you are my body? And what if he ain't got nobody now but yours? Will you be that body? I pray this Advent, the answer will be a resounding yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. All God's children said. 
Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.